Hello. 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 How are you, Jonathan? I'm very well, thank you. Mm. What are you guys drinking? Well, this would be Ina Garten's uh, Cosmopolitan. You did, you did it. <laughs> Carrie Alkema did it with our last interview and I thought, well, if she did it, I needed to do it. And yeah. you, Carrie? I've got my uh, Malfi gin. It's like sunshine in a cup. Just made nice. me feel like sunshine today. And you? This is just a regular good old beer. Nice. So the drink to have is a Quarantini. <gasps> Quarantini. What it's is every that? drink left in your cabinet put in the biggest glass you can find? Well, well, you're gonna. You're I was gonna, gonna do that, and I thought it wouldn't end well. No. <laughs> so where are you now? At home in Berlin. Yeah, we've been here now for months. It feels like lockdown. When what have you been? Like? When have? What is the date that you were locked down? March seventeenth was the day they announced we couldn't stay in the office anymore. Okay. Wow. And they've not, and they've just now started opening back up a little bit. Slowly, yeah, it's slowly happening. So in fact, in theory, next week we could go in the office. Wow, it's quite a big building. Well, you've seen it, Sandra. You've been, you've yeah, been it's massive. They're gonna, they'll stagger it and not have everybody at the same time and not open the canteen. But we can slowly start going back to work. And were you furlough, furloughed at all? We. This is, there's a slightly different system here in Germany called Kurzarbeit, which just reduces your hours. Okay. So we're on 60%, but we're very lucky between Universal Music and the German system here where everybody's looked after. So. Wow. But you know, learning German gives me a whole new respect for what you guys do. I mean, thank you. Do it because you were both in Rosalco together. And in my head, I was going to say two years ago, but it's not, right? It was literally this season. Yeah, it was. It was this season. Like I know. Ago now. I know. It seems like. Well, I mean, yeah. It's post. It's pre-pandemic, and that's like a, a whole new world. <laughs> and you're speaking Czech. I can't. Now that I'm learning German, I'm like, how the fuck do you do that? But that's. But it's one thing to to do what Carrie and I do, and we're just kind of like parakeets in a way you know we just memorize we learn this we memorize the sound and hopefully we know what we're saying too but you have to form a sentence we're we're just reading something and then and that's that's a different level yeah you know but the biggest problem actually is that everyone here speaks amazing english yeah there's no reason ever to speak german mm. it's true it's so true, and and you have to really force yourself. But like when we were last in in Berlin, I was trying to work on my German, and you know, would say something to the people, and then they correct you, and then they start speaking English. Yeah. And you, <laughs> that's pretty well, well. too. Yeah. Um, how has it been in your home with a little one being all locked up? How, are you allowed out at the parks or to go for walks or anything like that? Yeah, it's. It's more relaxed here in Berlin. The police have been very hands-off people, so you can you can you can go out. You, and it's been amazing spring here. Seriously, it's been stunning for four weeks now. It's it's a roller coaster, right? On the one hand, it's 
at the beginning, it was terrifying because there's this crazy pandemic that's killing people. And over time, it's turned out that apparently children aren't, children are the least affected. So the concern yeah. for Oscar's health went down. And then honestly, the silver lining for me is it's been paternity leave. I've got to spend uh -huh. six weeks with him. That's amazing. Is, and see him grow and, and yeah. learn. And Is he walking and everything now? No, he's mostly just rolling. He rolls around. You have to watch him. Yeah. He's just, we're trying to get him to crawl. He's at that funny stage where they crawl backwards <laughs> before they figure out how to crawl forwards. So he's he's in perpetual reverse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just am curious for, for me. Um, my husband is, they just said they're looking at June 1st to have him go back into the office. And how do you feel about that? I mean, are you... Are you a little hesitant about going back in if they open it up next week? Are you worried about bringing anything home? Or is that even a consideration? It's a good question, but I've stopped worrying about my health a long time ago with this disease. I know that sounds yeah. crazy. I'm not trying to be cavalier about it, but it's just lowered down on my list of worries right now. With the economy and the industry being at the top and long-term job security for all of us as being the number one concern. I feel, yeah. like, I feel like that's the battle for a lot of people right now because, I mean, if we're not, the economy doesn't start running, we're all in a really huge mess of trouble. And so what, yeah, what is the line? What is the line for your health and your safety versus, you know, me, making, being able to pay your bills and putting food on the table? Yeah, exactly. So I'm perfectly yeah. comfortable going back. I mean, I've been working anyway, so I haven't stopped working, but I just like the, there's a, there's a glimmer of hope in the idea of going back to the office. Yeah. I never thought I'd ever say that in my life. <laughs> Are you sleeping at night? Are you sleeping? Well, we've got Oscar, so it's yeah. a mix. <laughs> sure. This just happened. I just read this before we got in this meeting, so Sandra doesn't even know I'm going to talk about this, but they are opening up drive-in movie theaters in the States, the ones that are still actually there, and they're going to do live concerts and they're going to charge per person in the car. I think it was two people was 90 something dollars. And uh, so it was a way to keep people social distance, but also to have, you know, live music. And that made me excited. It was uh, especially after the Nat. I don't know if you saw this, Jonathan, but there was a huge Nats video that came out that I think depressed our whole industry yesterday. But um, when, when I read that, just before this, I thought, oh my God, how fun could that be? How could that translate into our business? How could we make that work? It's a great idea. It, it shows you something that I think the whole industry is feeling right now on the live side, is at the moment the lockdown is lifted, there's gonna be a huge rush to go to every performance anyone is allowed to go to any festival any rock concert any opera mm -hmm. people are desperate to experience things again yeah. I don't know how a drive-through would translate into what we do exactly but the, there are there are outdoor festivals yeah i mean people are talking about having picnic festivals where you just put a blanket down and then not and have two meters for the next group of people right yeah yeah, I think that that might happen. I'm doing an out, well, you know, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan's my manager, but um, I'm doing an outdoor concert in San Francisco in October. And yeah. I'm thinking, you know, that might, that might be still going on because 
people can still socially distance. And even if it's not with an orchestra, I could do it with a piano. And Was that planned pre-COVID or was that planned? Three. Yeah, oh, three. so it was already, oh, how exciting. So that actually really could come about. I hope so. Yeah, it's, in, it's their parks concerts that they do every okay. summer, free, free park concerts. So I'm hoping. But how do you see, Jonathan, like you're, you're born, you're British born, but you work for artists all around the world. You're in Berlin. How do you see the difference between the pandemic being handled in Europe as opposed to North America, both with the opera companies and, you know, in general? Do you see a big difference or no? I think there's huge differences, but then it's, it feels like there are huge differences even within Europe. Hmm. So I think Germany has been amazing, actually. They've been incredibly prepared in advance. They had all the equipment necessary. And people here generally are respecting the rules without them needing to be enforced. Yeah. Whereas in the UK, apparently it's the mess. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's much, much worse. The death rate is enormous in the UK now. Yeah, yeah I read that. Mm-hmm. So, and obviously we know, you know how bad it got in Spain and Italy. So there are different countries having different responses. And I guess in North America, it must vary a lot between cities, right? Between cities and rural States. communities. Yes. Mm-hmm. It does. And Canada, I think, is, is more along the lines of Germany. I think that we really dealt with it, in my opinion, very well. Right. But I, and opera houses, I mean, it's so, it's so different the way opera houses are run in, in North America as opposed to Europe. Can you kind of explain that to our viewers, like the difference? I mean, I think the fundamental difference really is state funding. Opera houses in Europe, here in Germany, for example, are run and owned by the state and largely funded by the state. Obviously, the box office counts, obviously the sponsorship, but they belong to the nation, which is, has, has enormous benefits in terms of long-term planning for the, for the companies. On the other hand, it means that even the intendants or the casting directors or the music directors or the people that you and I interact with in a situation like this, can't themselves make the decision. It goes to ministers of culture or finance. That's the same situation in France and Paris. It's not just the theater on its own. There's a a hierarchy of people involved in particularly financial matters and whether or not it stays open. Business people, not artistic people. Exactly. In the US it's different because they are run autonomously and they are funded differently. Mm -hmm. They have a very complicated endowment policy, which has enormous benefits when the stock market's doing really well. (laughs) (laughs) And it's dangerous when it isn't. And so that's a fundamental difference, I think, between how houses in the US and how houses in the continent of Europe operate yeah people a lot of people don't know that and so we're trying to inform people well there's also i mean it's the u.s is a litigious society so there's also that question at least now being asked of the companies can decide if they want to open up and if they do what 
are the ramifications in case someone, an audience member or someone on staff gets sick and blames the company. So all there's insurance issues with this. I mean, there's a lot of different factors that a lot of times singers don't think about, but uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, at least with that part of our culture. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, I mean, the the other thing to bear in mind, it sounds like a basic point, but it's true to, you have to remember that the US is bigger than Europe. Mm -hmm. It is, yeah, it's true. So there are vastly different types of cities and areas within the US. But there needs to be more opera houses in Europe, per capita. Yeah, and Germany, I mean, Berlin alone has three opera houses. I know, it's, it's spectacular, I mean, Thank God, and hopefully they all open up soon. I need yeah. I have a question for you that I've never asked you. Uh-oh. Do you have a degree in music? No, I actually have a real education. Rude. Carrie, <laughs> Harry, I think I need a new manager. Yeah. <laughs> Girl, I went to the university and have a, I have two degrees. Okay. In ancient history. What? Well, I guess opera is ancient history now. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> qualified to talk about this. <laughs> ancient history and the other yeah. one? I did both. So a bachelor's and a master's degree in ancient history. And in the end, specializing in the late Roman Republic. What did so, you want to do with that? I guess what I'm asking is how did you get from that, those master's degrees to A to Z? <laughs> to being an agent of crazy <laughs> opera singers. I don't really understand that. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> you um, need a degree in psychology to be yeah, an exactly. artist manager. Mm-hmm. Oh. I did it because, I, well, to be completely honest, I spent, and I've never told you this either, I spent most of my teens convinced I was going to join the army. That's what I wanted to do. Really? Yeah. It, it, you have to remember it was the 90s. And in the UK, in England, they advertised the army on television it's like a Boy Scouts holiday. It was like jumping out uh, of airplanes. They'll teach you to surf. They'll teach you to drive awesome tanks and trucks. Uh, and it was pre nine yeah. eleven. And it's and they would pay your education. And in the end, my grandfather took me aside one day and told me some pretty horrible stories about what he'd experienced in the Second World War. Wow. Mm. He told me I was a bloody fool to even consider it, and that. I was the only person in my family with the opportunity to go to university. I'd be crazy not to do it. Wow. And and my mum, my mum later told me that no one in the family had ever heard those stories before. Somehow I must have been some Sunday lunch or whatever, offended him by talking about how much fun it was going to be. So I did, I did my master's degree and then I was, I was convinced I I should do a PhD and at the last minute, I changed my mind because I realized I didn't want to stay for another six years in a university in London with absolutely no money. <laughs> so I had to get a job in a hurry. Okay. So I just uh, I applied for a bunch of jobs and ended up becoming a, you know, entering, entering at the factory floor, so to speak, as a junior assistant at an independent agency in London, looking after opera singers. Wow. That's so random. I know, right? I thought it was going to last. I thought it, it sounded like fun. And I thought yeah. it would last a couple of years. And now, Did, had you ever been to an opera before? Once. 
did you even do you even like opera i mean I like the music oh yeah i love it i love opera i do i've been doing this job for 20 years and what i've noticed is that i've become hypercritical there's plenty of occasions I don't love the performance, but when I do love it, it's the best thing I've ever seen. I agree so with I you. So I change it to everybody all the time. I agree with you. I have a hard time enjoying it. I don't know if Carrie agrees. I, I, I have a hard time enjoying any opera because I don't hear the beauty. I only hear the mistakes now. Right. You know what I mean? Because it's my job. It's, I don't know about you, Carrie. What do you think? I. I love to go. I'm always waiting for the moment when I'm not thinking about anything, where I'm actually just enjoying the story, where someone has gotten all of those parts came together, wasn't about somebody's ego or somebody's high note, it was about a story and told through the way we tell it, which is unamplified sound over an orchestra. And when I have those moments, it's when I fall in love with that all over again what I hate or what I become critical of are those moments where it's all about somebody's ego or, or something that just doesn't make sense and something doesn't gel, um, or I don't really believe the singer from a story standpoint of view, but, but I'm that kind of singer where I will forgive a cracked high note if they ripped my heart out. Does that make sense? I mean, there's... Mm. Oh, yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, besides opera and art history, what are you passionate about? I kind of think I'm passionate about a lot of things, actually. I kind of get obsessed with things. That's for sure. Okay. So I'm passionate okay. about Podcasts have now changed my life, actually. Because, well, before this, when I used to get on airplanes three times a week, yeah. I'd listen to all kinds of stuff on economics and philosophy and obsessed about cooking and drinking and living well. I don't know, I wouldn't say I have hobbies. I don't have time for hobbies. No, we don't either. But I just, I, I tend to throw myself into whatever it is I'm doing, for sure. You said that your, your grandfather talked to you the, the advice about mm. the army. Is that the greatest advice anyone's yeah. ever given you? Or is there- 100%. No. In the actual advice that affected my life, that was the single greatest piece of advice I was told. So what advice, passing forward, like paying forward, what advice would you give young singers now, post-pandemic, this era? That's a really good question. I think that, I think mostly it's the same advice I would give them anyway, which is to be clear about the fact that they're setting themselves up as independent, self-employed people and treat themselves like their business mm. and get smart about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So make sure that they have their photos ready and their biography ready and make sure that they have two, if not three, really good audition pieces ready to go and prepared that they don't need to, they're not hesitating about, do I know it well enough to audition it? Mm -hmm. so that, when the corona situation is lifted, they're agile enough to immediately jump on a plane or go over to audition to get a job. Yeah, that's the most important thing I think any young artist should be doing at any time. And on top of that, maintaining preparation 
and readiness to go to work, houses are going to be expecting those seniors to be ready on day one. Do you think rehearsal periods are now going to be shortened and on all of that? Yeah. And do you see, how do you see social media? For you guys, it is important. It's important to stay relevant and to stay present and to stay in communication with your fans, actually. Mm -hmm. And you need to do it for them. You also, I, I would argue, would have a, you have an obligation to the companies that hire you, actually, in the sense that you guys sell the tickets. And so they need that kind of support from the star artists when the shows are back on sale. Yeah. I mean, flip, flip the question the other way around. If you're not on social media right now, where are you? In the forest. Exactly. On the couch. Yeah, exactly. My question though with that is what's the best way to keep out there? Because I'm seeing a variety of things and some things I like and some things I don't. I mean, I'm sure, you know, she and I will be criticized for what we're doing here. We we didn't do it to really keep out there. We I wanted to do it because I wanted to talk to people like you. I wanted to talk to other singers to see how they were doing, how they were feeling, because I feel like we're all, it's, this is leveled the playing field and we're all in the same boat feeling, the same oh. field, so. Um, and you wanted to drink with people. Heck yeah, day drinking. <laughs> I think one of the key words in music generally is authenticity. I think that's true of what you do on stage, but I think it's also true of how you handle social media. Mm, that's good advice. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a kind of way of saying be true to yourself. Some people are very comfortable with sharing aspects of their personal life or yeah. their wardrobe or what they've cooked. Others just want to keep it very distanced, but it's all about the music, which is fine too. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or it can be. I mean, I'm a big supporter and a big follower of people who are curators. And I think we need those people, particularly in classical music. So people who post, for example, the best recordings they've heard from the 1950s. It doesn't have to be totally academic, but it can be just stuff you haven't heard of before because it's, it's one of the first times i can remember that i can properly listen to an album right even even you know with my fairly decent knowledge of classical music and opera there's a ton of stuff i don't know mm -hmm. i don't know john Ad i was listening to john adams last week which i wouldn't normally do and it was amazing <laughs> Well, yeah. So, okay, so you've not, you've not been working on, like a lot of other people that we've been talking to, Sperance, Scappucci, she's learning how to cook because she quite frankly didn't know the difference between a saucepan and a fry pan. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> and you're, you're not, you're just, you're listening to your podcast and, well, I mean, you have a little baby to play with too. So. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming what they call a gastrosexual. Someone who's so obsessed with cooking, it's a little bit weird. <laughs> I kind of like that word, gastro, but gastrosexual. Is that what you called it? Gastrosexual. Yeah. I love that. Okay, so my first question is, do your pants still fit after all that? Oh, I go this way. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have a question just for uh, go, going back to young singers. 
Um, because I have, they ask me this, you know, what's the best way to find a manager, which I know is kind of weird to talk about now in the times that we're talking about. But I mean, I know what it was like to find a manager back when I was doing that. But what, how, do, how does a young person do that now? Is it all by word of mouth? They have somebody call you or do they just cold, cold reach out to you? Or how does that work? I mean, generally, in my personal experience, cold calling is not very effective. Actually, that's the one. That's the one avenue I wouldn't recommend. Okay. I would normally go via. I mean, it, it depends how the the singer has been trained and how they've come through. But if they've come through a college, there should be a tutor or a you know a, a, a final concert that managers go to, where it's a bit more natural or organic to meet a manager, or via a teacher. Uh, yeah. The person that runs a young artist program where they've trained. Okay. Those Do people generally invite managers to certain concerts or performances, even if the singer isn't aware of it. Do young singers, I mean, after this, after this pandemic, do young singers even need management? Can they do can can they do it themselves now, do you think? I mean, I guess I would say no because of what I do for a living, but I kind of yeah. I, I would probably argue it's the other way around. They probably never needed management more. I have a feeling, to be honest, that if we can all survive collectively, financially until January, say, business will be back to normal and there's plenty of work for everybody. How do you see it getting back to normal, in your opinion? Mm -hmm. We need... I think there'll be a tipping point or a watershed moment. I think there'll come a point where I have a feeling that schools are, are going to be one of the breakthroughs. The moment kids go back to school, yeah. there'll be, and parents go have to pick them up, and then they've been at school all day mixing with 50, 100 other kids, there will be a sense amongst everybody of, well, if they're back to school, then we'll go to a restaurant. And if people are going to a restaurant, they'll go to a cinema, or they'll go to a theater, or they'll go to a stadium. Because it's, it's not just classical concert halls, you know, right, not far from where we live, is the Mercedes-Benz Arena. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's hemorrhaging money. It's not just in neutral at the moment. It's yeah. in millions a week just to keep it empty. Wow. And it's not just for Taylor Swift, it's, you know, it's, hockey, basketball, they play football games. Yeah. That's yeah. all to go back to. And the moment that happens, we're all back to work. Yeah. So when was the last time you really laughed hard? Have you, have you had some good chuckles what, when you've been in lockdown? Yeah, I mean, Oscar is hilarious. And I don't want to sound like the typical doting parent that just thinks my kid is the cutest, but honestly, he is cute. <laughs> he's, he's the cutest. Oscar, yeah eating new things is hilarious. Okay. Yeah. He loves fruit and he's got, like, I guess like all babies, very sweet tooth. And then we decided to feed him some avocado. And I guess he thought it must, it must be fruit because it looks like fruit and that's what he just eaten. And his face was like, <laughs> what have you done? You tricked me. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, so I laugh at my kids. 
But my favorite one, I have to say, and I'm going to get into trouble. So the week we went into lockdown, there was this whole thing about people stockpiling toilet paper and mineral water and whatever. And it made us anxious about Oscar. And we thought we've got to get diapers and we've got to have formula because we can't not have it. Mm -hmm. Right. We can't go to the store and then not be there. So I thought, let's get a week's supply and see what happens next week. And I was at work, Hannah was home. So we split up and she went to the local drugstore and I went to one more work. We reconvened here, put everything on the table. And I'd got a couple of bottles of formula and some diapers. Hannah had five bags of Haribo and two boxes of this thing called Dickman's, which is this really disgusting, like frozen marshmallows covered in chocolate. Oh. I was like looking at her like, what we do with it? I might, we're melting down the Haribo in a pan and feed it to an in a bottle. <laughs> and she's like, no, it's, it's mine. <laughs> oh my God, so you've had some fun. So bless her for prioritizing. Yes, no, we, I, I did that in my house. My husband came home and opened up the cupboard and he's like, what, ha what happened? And I'm like, why are you judging my 10 candy bars that are stacked up in there? <laughs> This is an emergency. Yes. Don't judge. <laughs> Don't judge my candy bars. Mm -hmm. So being locked up, I mean, like Hannah, your partner, and you, you're n usually not together all that much at home. That's Have true. you learned anything about each other that you're like, wow, I didn't know you were like that? Drink to that question. <laughs> um. <laughs> As he drinks. drinks. <laughs> Hannah, don't listen. <laughs> Or has she learned anything about you? And she's like, I, I think we've kind of figured out together that we can actually have a kid. <laughs> we actually, we actually, we, we've kept him alive seven months and he's doing pretty well. That is already kind of like a crazy achievement. Score! Yeah, a pretty good team. About is how it? do you see singer contracts going forward as far as payment in a way? Like for example, we're paid a third on arrival, paid a third halfway through and a third at the end, just so that our housing costs aren't lost in moments like this or our airfare, you know, things like that. It's a really good question. I think a lot of people in the industry are talking about this now. I, th I think the general sense is that we have, as I said earlier, we have to get through to the end of the year. Okay. And take stock and then review it properly. What adds to the complication though, is this fact that the opera industry is structured differently based on which city and which country. Yes. And the fact that there are, you know, places like Paris and France, they have an overriding ministry of culture that makes decisions about these things. So it's, it won't necessarily be that easy to change, but we should definitely do it. We, we definitely need to be having this conversation. Do you think it should be a universal kind of a contract or a country like the United States who does contracts differently than like what you're saying in France and Germany should, should it just be a universal way of dealing with this? At I mean, least financial in, my, in the ideal world, yes. Will individual ministers and legal representatives of those theaters agree to that? That's a different question. Yeah. This year is about survival. Right now it's about opening in the start of the new season yeah. and i think it's also about i mean you have to bear in mind that companies because of the cancellations this season are having to restructure next season yeah 
So there's a long tail to the, on the effect to us of this lockdown. Yeah. That just directly linked to when we can go back inside the theatre. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank now you. I think we need to have some fun. Are we ready for it? Well, always. I love fun. Rapid yeah. fire questions. Are you ready oh, for them, Jonathan? Do you need another beer? <laughs> go ahead. I'm ready. Who's your favorite soprano? <laughs> Tony Soprano. I'm sorry? Tony Soprano. <laughs> That's a good one. Dodged <laughs> a bullet there. Yeah, you really dodged the bullet there. I was like a bazooka bullet. Like, that was huge. Yeah. Tony Soprano. I'm going to leave this screen. Y'all figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, okay let's see um what profession other than your own would you like to do i would i would love to be a retired millionaire wouldn't we all okay so what opera piece would you suggest to somebody new to classical music opera that's a good question Oh, thank you. I think it's probably, it's going to be a humdinger Puccini, I think. Like, something like Man on the Sco, actually. Mm, that's a good yes. one. Yes! Uh, do you have any hidden talents that we all need to know about? I'm really good at boxing. Really? Yeah, I still, I, well, I'm 42 years old, so I'm not that great anymore. But in my mind, I'm, I'm a champion. <laughs> Did we freeze? Are we frozen? Uh-oh. Are we Jonathan? Frozen? Yeah. Jonathan? Hello. Jonathan? Hello? Hello? Hey, you're oh, frozen. You, froze. <laughs> you guys are frozen. Sondra's frozen mid-punch. <laughs> He's like, that's a, that's a dumb question. I'm not answering that. Uh, what is your favorite word? Discombobulate. What turns you on? Uh, people with expertise in things. And what turns you off? Uh, rudeness. Yeah. What sound or noise do you love? Hannah. You're like, Hannah, stop watching Netflix. Trail to watch a TV show on her own that we've been watching together. <gasps> Oh, that's not allowed. You can't do that, right? You, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. I got in so much trouble with my husband one time doing that. I've never done that again. <laughs> okay, so what was it? The, what's the sound or noise that you love? Oscar laughing. Uh, sound or noise uh, that you hate? Cars, traffic. Mm -hmm. Favorite curse word? Any language. Uh, um, motherfucker. Yes. Carrie. Knew I liked you. That's my favorite, too. Uh, what profession would you not like to do, ever? Uh, opera singer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blame you. Okay, and the last one. If heaven exists, 
What would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You're too early. Go back. Yes. yes. That's awesome. Yes. That's, that. That's brilliant. Okay. <laughs> Thank well, you so much. I know. We, I, I know that you're having issues there. So tell Hannah not to watch that TV show without you. Yeah. Come on, girl. Oh. Okay. We'll let you go. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Take care. Thank Have you. Have a great Stay night, Jonathan. Bye-bye. Bye. Ciao. Hey, I like your mug. It's a Look at that. Mug. I'm getting attacked by the plants. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear.